this going. All right. So John 11, again, this is titled, Where Were You When I Needed You? And right, we probably all felt this way. So especially these last two years, you know, COVID has either caused death directly or indirectly. So many people have you know, lived through COVID, which is great. You know, I actually thought I was going to lose my dad last year in January. He was uh, pretty rough there for about a week. Um, but we all experience death. Um, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, no matter who we are, believer, non-believer, good, bad, whatever, death comes for everybody. Right? And, and it's something we cannot escape. And so we have to deal with that. And so I'm not going to say the more you experience it, the better off you are, because it's not necessarily the case. Um, you kind of learn to deal with it and get through things. I remember uh, the first real impactful person who passed away for me was my uncle. He was the youngest of all my, my dad's siblings in the Air Force. He was one of the ones that sort of inspired me to go join the Air Force and do things. Uh, he died in a, a, he was a truck driver, so he was driving a, log, a truck full of logs lost control somehow, whatever, the load came undone, um, the logs went through the cab. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, so I was 13 or 14 at the time. So that was the real, you know, the first person who really like, well, he was, you know, 35, whatever he was, 35, 40, something like that. You know, my great-grandfather, he passed away, he was like 95. That makes sense, right? I mean, you get to a certain age, you kind of expect it, okay, fine. But when somebody's that young, you start to wonder what's going on, right? And so we've all experienced this again. People, we had a pastor pass away a couple years ago from COVID, 40, 40 years old or so, just suddenly, boom, passed away. And so we all deal with this. And so I don't want to make this a bummer sermon because it's out. We'll get to the good news here towards the end of it, towards the middle part. But, but it's something we have to deal with. And it's not just death, but it's just loss in general. You know, people move away. People, you, you have fights, whatever it is. We, we have loss. We have to experience in our life grief and things like that. And so how we deal with that, how we get through that, and who we use to get through that is important. And the person we need to use, the bottom line up front, is the person we need to use is God. God is the person we use to get through the grief. Now, God puts people in our lives to help us through that, so I want to make sure we're good with that. But, you know, He's the one we rely on. And, and even though we don't see the plan, that we're going you know, to see how, how this unfolds here in a few minutes when we read this, but it's important that we rely on God and we trust Him when we can't see the plan. And so we're going to go ahead and read John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, because this sets the whole stage for everything, for the whole, for the whole scene. And we'll go from there. We'll, we'll, we'll go through the outline here in a few minutes. So John tells us, Now a man was sick, this is verse 1, Now a man was sick from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. So when Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness, This sickness will not end in death, but it, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea, Judea again. <laughs> Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Like, they already tried to kill you. You want to go back? Does it make sense, right? He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, 
but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death and that they thought he was speaking about natural sleep, right? When you get sick, you get tired, you want to go take a nap. You rest up and you get better, right? That's what their thing was going on. He just got the flu. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas called the twin, so Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. So Thomas is all in on this part. He said, let's go. If you can get stoned, let's go. Let's go with him, right? So that's kind of sets the, so, that sets the stage for what's going to happen in the rest of the chapter. So here's the main idea, though, that God is glorified and people are blessed through tragedy as well as fortune, right? So loss and gain. I want to use kind of how, try to figure out how to word that, but fortune and tragedy, loss and gain, those are things, those are opposites. And the other part of this is that God gives us portions of us. He gives us both portions. We have to have both. Yeah, I, never, I don't trust anybody who's smiling all the time because they're either faking it or they're just maybe not well. Right? They can't deal with certain things. So they're maybe pushing it away. They're hiding it, whatever it is. So you have to be able to... You have to you, we get both whether we want it or not. So we have to learn what to do with it. So if you look at your outline, though, here's what God does for us. First, He acts in His own time. We're going to see that's kind of what we just read. And God acts for His benefit as well as yours. Right? We benefit, but everything He does is for Him. And we, we are beneficiaries of, of His grace and His love. And so God acts with compassion after that. And then God acts for His people. We see this. And so 2 and 4 are sort of the same, but they're a little different. So we will get, we'll kind of explain that. So the first thing, the title sermon kind of explains it all again. That This is Martha's reaction to how when Lazarus died, and where was Jesus? Where were you? I told you already he was sick. You needed to come now. But you didn't. And in verse 2, though, it's interesting because John gives us this information that must have been well known to the audience that Mary was the one who did the anointing with her hair because that actually doesn't happen until the next chapter. So it must have been a pretty big event for him to stick that in there and say, hey, this is who we're talking about because they've already heard the stories. right? They know this stuff. But he's just sticking it to, to make the link of people but also to say, look, this is a big deal. This is actually hugely important. And so the thing is, the timeline though, in this timeline, if we lay it out, Lazarus has to die first. And so Lazarus gets sick, his sisters, Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus. They say, Lord, right? But this is just a sort of a sir. This isn't them proclaiming that he is Lord and God. They're just saying it's a, it's a title, it's a sir. And so it shows respect for his authority and also his position as a rabbi. And so, again, they're not saying that we know who Jesus really is, even though they kind of have an inkling. But they're just saying, hey, sir, can you come help us? And they, re they relay that Jesus' best friend, one of them, the person who he loves, and he loves Mary and Martha too, one of his best friends, Lazarus, is sick. So the thing is, though, that Jesus already knows this. He's not surprised by the news, like, oh my God, what do I do? He's like, oh, I've been waiting for you to get here. You know, it's probably a reason he may have been sticking around wherever he was at so the messenger could find him easier, you know. 
So Jesus already knows. He has this foreknowledge of everything that is happening, and he demonstrates this foreknowledge. He says, yeah, okay. He's sick, but this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God. So that's important for that. That's important. So, and it's just like the situation with the blind man. This is sort of a, a similar tale, a similar event. Right? The father sends the son. He has them there at the right moment, the right, right time to heal the blind man and also then to raise Lazarus from the dead again. And again, he's not going to do this in death. He's not going to end in death and says... But then in verse 6, we get this other information, right? So we know that Jesus loves him. He's his best friend, basically, or one of his really, really good friends. He loves his whole family. You'd think that he'd want to go glorify God already. But then what's he say? Hey, guys, let's camp here for two more days. What? I thought he was your friend. What kind of friend are you? I need you. I need your help. But you're going to wait two more days wherever you're at? And it's not like you can't get a flight out. You're just going to walk wherever you're at. Yeah, it's not like, hey, I'm trying to get there as soon as I can. I live in California. I've got to fly to Pennsylvania. It's going to take me a day or so to get everything squared away, right? No. It's, look, you could walk from where you are to where you need to go and be here. So you can kind of see, with the length of time that goes past, why Martha's upset, right? Why Martha's mad? Well, this is why. Because <clears throat> we don't know what he's sick from. We don't get that information. John never tells us. We don't know. But since... You know, the first century, anything could be fatal. Right? This, you know, diet and health and exercise, whatever else. Anything you get sickness-wise could be, could be fatal. But again, the way they react is it just like a cold. You're not going to freak out over a cold. So obviously whatever he has is killing him. So when they're saying he's sick, he's sick. So it's much more than a cold. But So they need his response there. So Jesus just says, hey... It's, it's urgent, but I'm not in a hurry. I'm not bothered by this. And in verse 11, when they get moving again, Jesus knows that Lazarus already died. So, does this mean, is, is John describing that Jesus is just a heartless, thoughtless person? Like, oh, here he is. He's, here's the Lord of the universe. He'll get around to you when, you when your number's called. Like, you're waiting in the DMV line, like, number 432. And I have number 600. I'll be here all day. Right, all week. No, this is not. This is not what he's saying because we look at it and we kind of look logically. Lazarus had probably already passed away by the time Jesus received the news, anyway. So if you kind of look at it, if he's that sick, she's sending somebody. It takes a day at least, probably, to get from Mary and Martha to Jesus. So it's at least one day. He has two more days, and it takes a day to get to where he's going. Right, so we have four days, and we're told that later when Jesus gets there. It's four days total that Jesus waits. And of course, we find out that Lazarus is in the tomb. So why is this number, why is this time frame important? Because if Jesus showed up when he was still sick, one, he wouldn't be dead to resurrect. Two, if he had just passed away, they might have think that he could just perform CPR, essentially, and he would pop back up. So Jesus didn't really perform a miracle, he just did CPR. So the only way to really tell and get this part is the fact that he needs to make sure he's passed away. So here's the interesting thing. You start looking at something, but I think I've said some of this stuff before, but there is a medical condition called catalepsy. Right? It's characterized by a death-like trance and rigidity to the body. So whatever happens to your body, you, you, you go stiff like you passed away. Everything kind of stops, and, and people think you're dead. So by the 19th century... 
stories of people being buried alive when they wake up from their illness was, was rampant. So they, they actually have several patents. They had several patents from the 1800s that were systems of, of coffins that had a ladder, had a little string, had an air tube. Right? So they would install you in the ground, but they put a ladder, they put a hole, they put a tube. So if you woke up, you could breathe just in case the doctors got it wrong. So even in the 17th century England, it's documented that a woman by the name of Alice Blunden was buried alive. So as the story goes, she was knocked out after having imbibed or drank a large quantity of poppy tea. The doctor holding a mirror to her nose and mouth pronounced her dead. Right, so poppies, poppy seeds, poppy flowers, that's what we get heroin from, but we also get morphine and codeine from. So the tea, if you make it from dried, unwashed seed pods, contain morphine and codeine, which are sedatives, so that effect of the drug basically you know, slowed all her body processes down to the fact that she was almost dead. So her, quickly, her family quickly made arrangements for her burial, but two days later, after she was laid in the ground, children playing near her grave heard noises. That's super creepy. On many levels, really. <laughs> They're just playing by the grave, but whatever. So they heard noises, of course. And you hear ghost stories. This is why. This is why you have ghost stories, because all of a sudden they heard noises. So the schoolmaster goes to check the gravesite for himself, and he found that Blunden was still alive, but it took another day to exhume her. She got, they got her out a little bit, but then she still passed away. And there's other stories the same way where, where, where other people, they, couldn't, they didn't get out in time, or they thought they were dead. They, they kind of came back to life. They ended up passing away a day or two later. Um, but you never know. And so, again, this fear of death, where people are having a business now of, of making sure people are actually dead. You know, this, this happens, this has happened in recent enough times that this is where we're at. And so, it's important for Jesus to make sure that everybody knows that Lazarus is actually dead. That way there's no hopes because he arrives in his own time to ensure that everybody knows this and there's not some elaborate hoax that, of course, you know, Jesus, Mary, or, or Mary, Mary, Martha, Jesus, and Lazarus, they could be all in, all in cahoots together. And say, hey, okay, Lazarus, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to die on Tuesday. I'm going to come back on Wednesday. I'm going to zap you, and you'll be alive, and now you're resurrected. Yay! I'll get more believers. That's not what Jesus is doing at all. He's like, look, he's dead. He's dead, dead. <clears throat> and so all of this happens. And so the disciples, I would remind them, like, hey, dude, you, you want to go back there? They're going to try to kill you again. They just tried to kill you last chapter. You sure you want to go back just to do this? I mean, death happens. It is what it is. But he's like, nope, we're doing it because God is doing this. So here's our application for this part, though, is that God showed up in Lazarus's life to eliminate any other possibility of who or what brought Lazarus back, to, back from death. And so God does the same thing for us. He shows up in situations where there is no other explanation. He shows up the exact time so that there is no doubt what has happened is from God. Right? We can rationalize it all we want, and we should make sure we kind of do the process of elimination to make sure that, you know, okay, I just misplaced my keys or whatever. I'll tell you a story in a second. This happened this week. That we're not just ascribing everything to God, like, oh, God does everything. Yes, He does in a sense, but sometimes we're just dummies and we forget our keys. Right? But other times we forget our keys. We know we put our keys somewhere. 
and we just can't find them. And then later we go back and they're there where we put them, but they weren't there a minute ago. So here's my story. So Monday, I was going again, ready to go to work. And for whatever reason, because Veronica and I both have to go to work, so Mason's doing schoolwork at home for a little while. I come home early anyway. So weirdly enough, I got a weird premonition. So I prayed to God, God, keep us safe. Don't let me, don't let anything happen to us, whatever. I go out, the car does not, my car didn't start. And Veronica was leaving too, because we leave kind of the same time. So there's no time for me to use her car to jump my car. I don't have a little battery pack thing. So I stayed there, you know, I stayed, I stayed at home all day. She came home, jumped the car, all that stuff. Totally fine. It's the battery. I took the auto parts, sorry, it was the battery. So far, the battery has been fine the rest of the week. The only thing I can think of was that I had left my USB cord plugged in and it was touching a piece of foil that had to be from a container that may, maybe was discharging my battery. I don't know, but the fact that I had a very strong premonition before I got in the car, and this is me going upstairs in his room and then walking down to the car, so that few minutes of me praying, walking downstairs, I'm not sure that that's totally what happened with my USB cord. That's the only thing I can rationalize of it happening with electrically happening, draining the battery enough. But I really feel like God had kept me safe from something that was going to happen that morning. I don't know. Again, I'm trying to make sure that I don't just say, oh, it was totally God keeping me safe and that's just it. I try to look at everything else. But at the end of the day, I'm leaning more towards God keeping me safe and keeping the family safe, right? So we have to make sure that we are witnessing and recognizing when God shows up in our lives to say, yes, that is definitely from God. And we have to be honest with ourselves to allow that to happen. To not just rationalize it to death and say, well, it was these other four things that happened. No, because I've gotten that down that list and go, there's no way that stuff could happen. Or God made all those other things happen. Because when he does this stuff, he's acting on our behalf and our benefit as well as his benefit. Right? Because we can recognize his power. And so that's the second point. We go through verses 17 through 27. So Mary, or Martha knows Jesus is coming into town by this point. And she goes out to the welcome to Bethany sign. Right? Standing right in front of the, you know, all the little uh, the, the lion sign and the Masonic, Masonic signs. And all that. Like, welcome to Bethany. Like, she's waiting. She's probably like... I kind of imagine her having a rolling pin in her hand too. I don't know. <clears throat> and she's waiting for him to give her the what, give him the what for, right? If you were here earlier, you could have healed him. He wouldn't have died. But instead, I had to live through this process. I had to live through this pain of this, all this nonsense going on. And where were you, right? And we've all probably had those conversations with God, saying, "What the heck is going on? Why am I being punished? What is going on with my life?" Right? If you were here, you would have healed him. It would have been no big deal. And Jesus, in verse 23, he says, look, your brother will rise again. And she's like, of course he will. In the resurrection, went after the end times, we're all good. I know this. And good on Martha for knowing theology. Right? Good on her for being a believer and knowing good theology. So we should all be like Martha and know good theology. Totally agree with that. And that gives her hope, right? So she's already saying, yeah, I get it. I will all be there. I get it. I'm, I'm okay with that, but it still sucks that he died. Right? Because we know on one hand it's great. We get to go to heaven. And there's a song about it. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. That's the only way to get there, so we have to. 
Doesn't mean we have to like it necessarily, but it is what it is. We know that everything, she knows everything will work out, but she's still thinking on an earthly level. Right? She called Jesus Lord, but she didn't get to the point yet that He is God. So Jesus turns the floodlights on for her in John 11, 25 and 26. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He gives her the gospel right there. I am the resurrection. So here's another I am statement. So here's the important part of this. I think we covered it a little while ago, but it's important to reiterate. The Jesus people, excuse me, the Jewish people understood that the power to resurrect is for God alone. Only God has that power. So when you come in and say, hey, I'm going to resurrect your brother or your cousin, whoever it is today, because I can do it, you'd be like, no, you're not. You don't have that ability. You don't have that power. God is the only one that can bring people back from the dead. He is the one that keeps people alive. And so we see this. We see that Jesus is saying, look, I am God and I am going to do this. Because Ecclesiastes 9, 3-5 says, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. Right? In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the, they go to the dead. But there is hope for whoever who is joined with all the living, since a live, a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Right? So if we take the Christ key and unlock this passage of Ecclesiastes, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, for the living know they will die. When Paul, when Paul talks about it, he says the living, he says those are adopted. We are made, we were dead in our trespasses, he says in Ephesians. But we were made alive through the Spirit. So if we take the key of Christ, for the living know they will die. When we are living, that means the people who are of God. The people who are God's people. We understand that, yes, we know we're going to die, but we know we're going to continue living. We know where we are going. Because God the Father sent God the Son to pay for your life. And God the Holy Spirit then breathes life into you at the appropriate time. When we are saved, when we say consider as saved, or when we're converted, when we're, we finally succumb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, He breathes new life into us. So we understand it, and we can now live forever through Christ. And that is the good news that we see this. And so the resurrection of Lazarus illustrates what is to come, and also what is happening right now, because this is not a normal occurrence. People don't just get resurrected left and right in the Bible. This is, like, other than Jesus, there's not... I don't think there's any other place. Oh, it's all Elijah and the, the one son. There's not too many people that get, come back from dead, the dead. Because here Jesus is going to demonstrate that he is God. He's not just saying, I am the resurrection, but he actually resurrects Lazarus. Right? Words say one thing, but his actions say another, so he has both. Lazarus gets to live again, and Mary and Martha get to have more time with their brother, more birthdays, more Passovers, more dinners. Because he is the one who brings back the life, controls it. So here's our application for this point. Is that when God acts in our lives, we live again. And God shows us who he is and we get to experience that grace and that love and that joy. Even through the pain, God is still standing there holding the umbrella so we don't get too wet from the rain. And he controls the storms. He turns it on and off. 
Right? That's super important that we know that sometimes it feels like when you're in the middle of a storm, if you've been in different places, you're like, man, is the rain ever going to end? Especially if it's in the south for any amount of time. We don't get too much rain here, so it's like, is the sun ever going to end? I don't know. But in the south, sometimes you get weeks and weeks of rain. You're like, when's it ever going to stop? And it does eventually. Right? Because crops need sunshine and rain to grow. Sounds kind of cheesy. Sounds very basic. But it's very appropriate for the situation. For our lives, we're the crops. God is growing us. We need both rain and sun. Too much sun? What happens? We burn up. I had a lizard when I was a kid. I put him in, the, by my, by in front of my window, and there was no way for him to get away from the sun. So one day I came home. I think I went to my dad's house for the weekend. I came home, and he was <laughs> in the other corner because he was trying to dig himself into the rocks to get away from the sun because it was too much. And he couldn't get away from it. So we feel the same way. Sometimes I'm like, man, this is great luck. I'm having all these good times, but it's just it's too much. And too much rain, what happens? It drowns. We drown the plants. You know, we get enough, we get enough water from the farmer when he flooded our grass out here a couple of times. Now the grass is super nice. But that's because that's how probably how dry the yard was out here. Right? But too much of it's gonna kill it. And so we have to understand this concept of, of rain and, 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 and sunshine and everything else. Then we know to be happy for the rain. We know that we need it, so it's important for us to get it. Because I don't want to pay to water the grass anyway. But we know this, but we know so know that too much rain can water the crops. And so God knows exactly how much we can take, even if we don't. He's like, you need a little bit more. You're a little too dry. Let me pour some more rain on you. Don't worry, the sun will come out, it'll dry it out, and you'll grow more. Because he is compassionate and he is patient with us. And so God acts with compassion in the verses 28 through 44 when we see this thing happen. So, so in Jewish customs, families were expected to hire at least two flute players and a wailing woman to be at the funeral. No matter how rich or poor you were, you had to have like this. This was kind of the standard of how you did a funeral for the, in the Jewish custom. So funerals became more of a ceremony and a spectacle than a mourning of the loved one who had passed. You know, sometimes you, uh, different cultures, they have a wake or something like that where some people just come and they drink and everything else and it's, it gets out of hand and that's what people, that's just what it is. And sometimes you forget what you're doing there because you're there to remember and celebrate the person who passed away. Tell stories you know, grieve, grieve together, but be happy also that if he's a believer, he or she's a believer, we know that they pass on the other side so we could be comforted by that. And it seems to have gotten out of hand because there's people who follow Mary out because Mary comes out now as well. And it seems like there's just people behind her that are professional mourners who are just, woo, 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 just you know, this, this crying and screaming out. And so it's, it's, it upsets Jesus. He says, you know, in John eleven thirty three, 33, he says, When Jesus saw her crying as Mary and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. So this doesn't mean he was just like, oh, like, oh, I feel so bad for them. It was like, why are you guys doing this? You guys are kind of faking your mourning. You're faking your grief just because you're getting paid to do it. You don't care about who died. You just want to get your 10 bucks and scream a little bit and go home. 
And then later we see that Jesus wept. And so it's important that we understand this. Why is he weeping? And what does it mean he was deeply moved? So, so most likely, though, he was not crying for Lazarus because we know he's, he's there to resurrect him. He's there to get him out of the grave. So he's like, well, there's no reason for me to cry about him. <clears throat> he wept most likely for the unbelief that was on display that they were just going through the motions of people being passed away and everything else. So there's, no, there's no real feeling here. There's no mourning here. It's just, I'm getting paid to do this, so I'm just going to do it. And again, some questions, some people are still asking him, why didn't you come sooner? So there is a general concern there. Why didn't you prevent his death? And so the Greek word, though, when it says John said he wept, that means, it does mean to cry, but it's usually in lament before some calamity. Right, so when we look at the words here, it's not just that he was crying just because. He was crying for some calamity. So the people seemed like they didn't have a lot of faith in God. Because at least Martha knew theologically what was going to happen, but maybe other people did not. Jesus knows what's going to happen to them, to all the people, because of their unbelief and their sin, and he's grieving for them. And we went through Revelation, we see what happens. We know what's going to happen to the unbelievers. And that grieves God. Perhaps also he was weeping because of their unbelief. Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, which also introduced death into the world. That's why we have death, is because of the sin, the fall. That was the punishment of eating. We would know death. But God's compassion is still on display because he still resurrects Lazarus, and later Jesus goes to the cross to pay for his people. There's people who do not believe who he is. There's people trying to kill him for who he says he is. And he's still here on earth. He's going to go through with his mission. Because he knows that he's going to save people. He knows this is going to happen, so he's okay with it. So Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, he says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He is acting out of complete compassion, pure compassion for us, for his people, because he loves us. Jesus is down here on earth. This is all happening of what we're reading because He loves us. John 3.16, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His only Son, His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We have to believe. We have a, a, a responsibility to believe, to use our free will, to come to that step. Right? We have to do that. As it's imperative. We don't just, God just doesn't turn the switch on and go, okay, now you're activated. Right? We make a decision to follow God. And that is important because that is how everything works together. God's will of sending His Son, paying for us, but also us saying, okay, I accept the gift. One does not violate the other. Because we see... Why does God do it? Well, way back in Exodus 34, he God tells Moses who he is. So Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8, says, The Lord passed in front of him. This is up on Mount Sinai. And Moses asked, Can I see your face? And God's like, You will die if you see my face, but I will show you this. I will tell you this. He said, So in verse... Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8, it says, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. 
maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgetting iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity to the children and grandchildren of the third and fourth generation. And Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped. God is compassionate, but he's not going to just let everything slide. And that's why we have to believe, because we accept his grace, his, his, because there is judgment. His judgment on us as people were poured, was poured out on Jesus Christ. Everybody else who does not believe, they will feel the wrath the, uh, the last day. And so we can see this from Exodus, and so we see the rest of the Bible, because Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8, is kind of repeated throughout the Bible, through Psalms, through other prophets and everything else, because they know who God is. And here we see His compassion on full display all the way to the cross on the hill of Calvary. We see His character, we see, and we should respond like Moses did by kneeling on the ground and worshiping the Almighty Creator. But we also see Him for this righteous judge that does punish the sin. Right, and that's important. Just like joy and pain, you have to have love and justice. You have to have both. And you, if you hear a gospel that's all lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey, there's the other side of it. We have to be aware because it's not to fear, it's not to be afraid, but it's to understand the consequences. So we have to have both. So Lazarus' resurrection is described quickly. It's just a phrase. Come out. Here, Jesus speaks life with His Word, right? The living Word says the words that make a person live. And that's important, I think, to understand that because the whole world was made through the Word. So He just uses His words to come out. Because we see this, that God does everything for His people. So now we get into a little bit of extra information here towards the end of the chapter. Verse 45. So, so there's lots of people who see this happening. They see they're standing around the, the tomb and Lazarus comes out because, of course, everybody got the word probably Jesus is going to heal him, whatever. But not everybody is Jesus' friend. So they witness this happening. And where do they go? Run right off to the Pharisees. Hey, hey, I got news. Jesus is back in town and he did something pretty crazy awesome. <laughs> Somebody come and tell me Jesus is out here in the front yard. I'd be like, really? Let's go. I'm not going to go look to kill him. I'm going to go look to fight him and you know, see what's going on. But no, these people have a vendetta. But again, it's part of the plan. So not everybody appreciates what Jesus is doing or who he is. And so they see this. They run out to the Pharisees. And so John gives us information here that's important. It says, the high priest Caiaphas prophecies that Jesus would die this year and the nation of Israel would be better for it. Right? Jesus is going to be, John is setting up that Jesus is going to be the sacrificial lamb. Caiaphas and the, priest, the rest of the priests know that they're going to use Jesus as this. They've already set it up that they're going to kill him. Again, this is getting to, and we see towards the end of this, right, that we know that the Passover is near in verse 55. So this is coming up to Passover. So this is about this time of year, roughly. So we know this is, this is going to happen. So they've already made up their mind. So the plot to kill Jesus has now been vocalized and they're going to set about planning up and making the final plans for it. And so, again, this is this transition period in the story of, of the whole gospel. 
And John uses the language here of, of what Caiaphas says to indicate that not only the Israelites will come back, but all of God's people will be gathered back into Him. This is not just for the Israelites. This is for the world. All of God's people. This is huge for people hearing this for the first time because if you think this is just for the Jews, no, this is for everybody. You get to be included in this group who is now what we consider the church, people who are saved. That's pretty awesome news for people who have been marginalized and just run over by the Romans. Because now you have to be included in this other group. one of God's people. You, if you are called, you are one of God's people. If you've been called by the Holy Spirit and you understand and accept the good news of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and you recognize Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, then you are also one of God's people. And that is important. That is great news. And so again, John is capturing now. He's sort of He's kind of given us this big 30,000 foot view of Jesus' ministry for the first, you know, almost three, almost an entire three years. And now for the rest of the book, we are going to spend like the last week of Jesus' life. The last ten chapters cover the last seven days or eight days of Jesus' life here on earth. And again, this works out because we can go through it. And there's about 10 weeks, I think I counted, I think I counted last week. There's like 10 or 11 weeks between now and Easter. So March 2nd, I think it is. March 2nd is Ash Wednesday, so the beginning of Lent. So Tuesday is that Tuesday. March 1st is Mardi Gras for, the, for all of you Cajuns. <laughs> But this story is partly about dealing with death and loss and things like that, but it's much more than that. It's much, much more than that. So, but how we deal with loss and grief, because that's what we take away from this stuff, is, is how we deal with these trials and tribulations will help show us, you know, as you go through it yourself or as you're going through with other people, how much you trust God. And don't feel bad if you, you know, we'll just say freak out when somebody passes away and you don't know how to handle it the first time or second time, but as you go through it more and more, unfortunately, you'll get better at it, hopefully. Right? We'll, we learn how to deal with grief and loss because as, as, as we live, our trust should be growing in God because He's proven to us, we've experienced it, so now we know to trust Him. So if something happens, okay, God's got it taken care of either way. Whatever happens, God's got it taken care of and it's all part of the plan. I'm not saying be fatalistic about it and saying, well, whatever happens, and you don't do anything because you have to do something. But we know that God is taking care of it. And we have to learn to suffer well. And we have to learn to suffer for Christ because unfortunately that's what part of life is. And we are known as Christians, little Christs. And we are to live like Him. So Rome, Paul says in Romans 8, 17, he says, And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Right? You can't have one without the other. Right? Love and marriage. Right, just what the song says. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.16, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. And so again, we suffer through these losses because when we lose somebody, we lose a loved one or a friend or whoever, it sucks. Right? We can all agree with that. I'm not being crude or anything. It just That's what it is. There's no way to sugarcoat it, and I don't like sugarcoating things. It just sucks. 
But we know there's a plan because we trust God. And we're suffering through this because we all experience loss in our lives. But glorifying God is our purpose because He has given us everything. Right? His general grace keeps the world going and moving us down the path. And then as His children, we have been given special grace from Him that saves us, protects us from His wrath through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And again, if we tell people we're Christians, but we're freaking out like Chicken Little every single time something happens, then how big is your God? Right? How big do you think God is if you are worrying about the sky falling every, single, every five minutes? You probably think He's not very big and not very capable, which is blasphemy, essentially. But again, suffering is not fun. Loss is difficult to deal with, but we learn to live with it because the world changes. Everything we change, the world changes. We can be sad, we can be angry, we can be confused. It's totally fine. God gave us these emotions, so don't bottle them up and say, God just have to be tough about it. Cry, laugh, be joyful, be sad, get together. It's totally normal. You know, it's totally fine. We all go through the, what's called the stages of grief, and it's not just a straight shot. Like, I'm going to be mad, happy, sad, confused, whatever, and it's, then I'll be done. Right, just, I, got, I do my list of emotions, and um, when I get to the last one, I'm done. No, you're going to be that way, back and forth, back and forth for, for months, years, whatever. That's okay. <clears throat> but one thing we need to do to keep our emotions in perspective is to focus on God. Right? We can keep them in perspective by focusing on God of what it is, what we're feeling, and why we're feeling that way. But we also know that God loves you, He cares for you, and that He will. you have an eternal life with Him if you're one of His children. And again, that is the good news. That Jesus paid your way into heaven. He paid your price for that admission. And so God's love has been demonstrated on the cross and through the loss of Jesus' life. Right? We see it when we get to the end of that. We, we see how much they grieved because Jesus died. Because they didn't know that He was going to be resurrected. They thought it was over. And we know too that we will be resurrected in heaven. We will end up in heaven when our eyes shut for the final time. Because we gain His righteousness from the cross. He has given us His righteousness and we earn, He has given us a place in heaven with Him as well. Right? And that's it's some heavy stuff, it's some weighty stuff, but it's important that we put our faith in, in Christ, our faith in God. And that will help us see us through. Right? So as we sing our last few songs, as we, as, we, as we go out this week, as we are dealing with losses that we have, um, or have experienced the last year or so, or last week, whatever it is, Hopefully that will help set us up to be better and to be focused on God. So let's go ahead and stand.